Hello again, I'm Eric with Smart Pot Fabric Planters, back with another great episode of The Growing Revolution. And our guest this week is Paul Meehan. He's the president of Natchez Tree Company in Lamar, Mississippi. And he's got a very efficient tree farm where they're using our root control bags for great root development and an easier harvest and transportation. So, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Eric, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for making the time. Definitely appreciate it. So, um, unlike many tree farmers, you're not a multi generational operation. Can you explain what you were doing in life uh, prior to starting up your company and why you got into the industry in the first place? Yeah, so I guess to, to jump right into things, I have zero formal training in horticulture forestry, agriculture, or anything like that. Um, I have a marketing and supply chain degree from the University of Tennessee. And after school, um, went into sales, primarily technology and software. I spent three years in um, New York City doing software sales and then moved back home to Nashville and was doing um, healthcare technology sales. and. You know, it was great. I was making a comfortable living. I was pretty good at what I did and I enjoyed the people I worked with. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't as, you know, fulfilling as I had hoped uh, in a career. And sort of my whole life, I've, I've been really interested in the outdoors and um, landscape, trees, things of that nature. And it was actually kind of a joke in the office that I was a, a big tree guy. So I could name all the trees in the parking lot, or if someone had a photo of something, I could say, Hey, yeah, that's a tulip poplar, or that's a live oak, or that's a hackberry, you know, whatever it was. <clears throat> so it was kind of a little bit of a joke. And, you know, uh, I guess at the time, I didn't realize this until I was, you know, well into my career that your average people you're working with don't know the difference between a, you know, a red oak and a white oak, or even what a, what an oak is, you know, the difference between an oak and a maple. So, this is all kind of shocking to me that that people did not know all this stuff that was going on around them. It was just, that's a tree or that's a shrub. Um, so one day um, I was, I was managing a team, um, a sales team. And one of the guys that I was working with said, Oh, that's funny. You're a, you're a tree guy. My girlfriend's father um, is the owner of, and I won't mention the name of the, of the farm is a member of uh, an owner of this farm. And I said, wow, that's, that's interesting. And, you know, after we talked, I looked up this, this farm online and um, looking at it on, on Google images and pulled up the Google satellite map. I was like, wow, this is incredible. You know, it was, this is a pretty substantial farm. I was looking at, it was probably a thousand acres in production. It was outside of Nashville, kind of in that McMinnville area. Um, and just looking at it, it was rows and rows of different shades of green and different. They had a lot of flowering trees and fruit trees and uh, the rolling hills. You know, it kind of looked like a vineyard, but of trees. Um, and that kind of stuck out to me. I was like, wow, you know, I've never really thought about where all these trees come from that are at garden centers and nurseries or are being supplied to these huge developments and communities and projects. So I, I kind of started doing some research on my own and um, 
instead of doing my normal sales stuff, my normal cold calling and email outreach and meeting with clients, I spent a whole week cold calling and cold emailing tree farms around the country. Um, which, you know, my, my, my actual sales productivity went down, but my, you know, learning about trees and operational stuff and, you know, kind of this whole new world I was just, you know, just obsessed with. Um, many of the farmers that I actually got in touch with were shocked that someone like me would be interested in learning what they do. And I think that initially was my foot into the industry. These guys were not, um, you know, they weren't taken aback. They didn't feel like I was someone trying to steal all their information. I was someone genuinely interested in what they did and a complete outsider, what they did. And then if it was even possible for someone like me to come in and do this. And the resounding answer was that I got from a lot of these farmers was you can absolutely do this. You can absolutely learn this, um, but you're going to have to be really smart at it. There's a lot of ways that this cannot work and you need to keep it a narrow focus. You need to be really good at what you do and you need to go with that and, and scale it. So I asked tons of questions. You know, I probably built a network of that first week of me cold calling farms. So um, of the hundred calls and hundred emails I sent out to farms across the country, I heard back probably from 10 of those guys. And probably five or six of those sort of became my my mentors and my my insiders on the industry and helped guide me, you know, into Nat what Natchez Tree Company is now. They told me a lot of their pitfalls, what they wished they hadn't done, and also things that they wished they did. And um, high caliper was something that came up. Um, my initial questioning was what mode of production would you use if you could start from scratch? Was it bald and burlapped or was it true hard-sided plastic containers? And doing the research, you can find all this information online about both those growing methods. And there's obvious pros and obvious cons for both of those. And farms make it work. But one thing I kept hearing from from all of these these farms that agreed to talk to me was, they started mentioning, hey, you know, there's this, this grow bag, this in-ground container, or, you know, you could even do it above ground. And I've kind of looked into it, but we're, you know, we've been doing bald and burlap for the last 30 years. And, you know, my staff's really comfortable with it. And, you know, These we've farms, got a book of business. And, and some of them mentioned high caliper by name and others would just say, you know, there's a fabric, there's fabric containers out there or you know, different modes of growing. And they'd kind of describe essentially what high caliper has. I started doing a bunch of research, you know, that kind of shifted my research from bald and burlapped and hard sided containers to high caliper. And that kind of opened up a whole, you know, slew of, uh, of, of potential issues I saw that kind of, um, seemed like high caliper might be able to fix. You know, I saw some major issues in starting a business uh, in, in a profitable tree farm. One of those being with bald and burlap, you can only harvest your trees, you know, at most half the year, if you're lucky. The window for harvesting is so short. And if you've already got all these variables involved with growing a tree, and then you're telling me you can only harvest it during this small window, you know, that was something I, it was a tough pill for me to swallow. And when I saw that high caliper, it's this year round harvest. 
um, you know, and the ease of harvest, um, that was something that really kind of caught my eye. Um, Cause that seemed to be the major issue for these bald and burlap guys. And all of a sudden you've got this product where that's not an issue at all. Um, so it was things like that, getting to know the product started making me think, why is nobody else doing this? And I I'd asked my group of farmer friends, the, the, the same questions, the ones who told me to look at high caliper, I kept asking them, why aren't you doing this? You know, no one's doing this. And they kept kind of saying the same things over and over. It was, things are working out good for us right now. We've been doing it for X amount of years and we cannot afford to change right now. But if we could, we would. So I kind of took it upon myself to find deep in my search um, to try and find the small amount of farmers who are using the high caliper grow bags for in-ground tree production. Um, and I actually got in touch with two of them and they're probably um, two of the most influential um, tree bag growers in the country. And one of them I got very close with, uh, Eric Hall, and really modeled our operation and uh, how we grow trees off of a lot of Eric's advice and sort of this model that he he created. I saw exactly what he was doing and he shared with me the success they were having. And when, that's all I needed to hear for me to say, I'm all in, this is how we're gonna do it. Nice, so so Eric uh, was working at his, uh, at the tree farm he was at before starting his consulting business when you originally met with him? Yeah, and the way I got in touch with Eric is I had reached out to High Caliper um, cause I saw this ad for the Monarch auger, uh, you know, an automated way to install these grow bags in the field, um, with just a skid steer and auger. And it's, it's a pretty unique, but simple setup. And they introduced me to Eric. I asked Eric, my initial questions was, Hey, tell me about this auger. How much does it cost? Tell me what it can do. You know, all the basic questions. And that kind of led us down more conversation on production and starting a tree farm. And one thing led to another. And before you know it, I was down at his tree farm visiting and uh, checking out what he had. And when I got there, I was just in awe, not only of the farm itself, but the amount of trees that they were moving, uh, how good their trees looked, and also how small of a production staff he had. It was almost hard to believe. Um, cause many of these other farms are using, you know, they're doing a hundred acres in production. They're throwing out, we've got 20, 30 members on the team. Eric's over there with the team of somewhere between five and 10 and at times yeah. even less. So when I saw that, um, you know, when you're looking at operational costs, labor is a huge, huge factor in that. Not only is he much less on the labor side, but he's also growing his product two to three times faster. So seeing the farm in person, I was just thinking, this is, this is crazy. You know, this is, this is how we're going to do it. Right. Yeah. Eric, uh, he's a super smart guy. Uh, we actually got to uh, interview him for a previous podcast episode and yeah, it seems like he has, uh, the formula, uh, that if I was starting a tree farm, I would definitely lean on him. Uh, and sponge off all of his uh, knowledge, definitely. Um, so, um, you know, Eric, Eric's been uh, obviously a big fan of the root control bags for years and passed that on to you. Um, how has the root control bag helped your tree farm be more efficient 
uh, versus traditional farming methods? I mean, yeah, I know so, the answer, but uh, people who are watching uh, don't. Well, there's there's a number of things, and I could probably write, I could probably give you a hundred bullet points, and some of it's getting kind of into the nitty gritty. And I'd say the the most um, most important thing about the grow bag, from a production standpoint, is really um, the ease of harvest. I would say there's there's kind of a uh, a decent amount of work on the front end. But the ability to, when a customer calls you and says, I need one willow oak or I need 300 willow oaks, we just go out in the field and we pop a tree out of the ground and we put it directly onto a trailer. It's that simple. And if you tell someone who's not in the industry, they probably think that's how it done. it's done everywhere. But for whatever reason, uh, it's not. And with other modes of growing, uh, that's just not a reality. That's not in the, that, you know, that's, that's not, you know, it needs to be pre-dug. It needs to be hardened off. It needs to be, you know, there's this whole long laundry list of things that need, people are even reading the, the phases of the moon for some of this stuff. But with the high caliper grow bag, it's just the ease of use. Um, pop it out of the ground, put it on a trailer. Um, and then from a customer standpoint, you know, this goes back to my sales background. It's, you know, what's in it for a customer? A customer doesn't really necessarily care how easy it was for us to harvest this tree or for us to produce this grade one tree. From their standpoint, the benefits are just, you know, even that much more extreme. The number one, um, you know, survival, uh, when it comes to survival, number one is survival. And um, the the grow bag's unmatched when it comes to survival rate. So. Um, you know, a customer can get a tree that has 95 to maybe even 100% of its original root mass in that container. So it's a tree that doesn't need some, you know, some whole rejuvenation period. It's ready to produce right then and there. Um, so survival is number one. Um, and then number two for a customer, we can fit close to double the amount of trees on a trailer with having a much smaller root ball. Uh, it's also a lot easier for the customer to handle that root ball. Um, they need, they need, you know, machinery, but it's, it's nothing extreme. They're not moving 600 pound root balls. They're moving 300 pound root balls. Um, so there's a number of things, um, that, that brings benefits to our customers. So it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a, a two way street. Yeah. And then with, uh, being more efficient, you're able to, um, you know, be better with your profit margins and you're able to keep your prices, you know, competitive, but still make money at the same time. Mm -hmm. Makes sense to me. Um, yeah. So I've heard that your, uh, now how many years has your tree farm been in operation? We just hit four years. I think it's this, I think it's this week. So yeah. four years, nice. we've got four different crops Congratulations. Now. Um, uh, I've, I've heard that you reached a, a profitability point much sooner than other tree farms uh, would have. W what would you attribute that to? Yeah, so there's there's a few things going on there. And, you know, it's it, it is pretty incredible when I tell other farms, you know, that we're in our fourth year and we've already sold a good portion of our first two crops. You know, we took a tree from a three or five gallon container. Um, that's about, you know, we buy in a lot of our baby trees. 
Um, but that's a three or five gallon container. That's about a five foot tall tree. It kind of looks like a Charlie Brown tree. The diameter of the trunk's probably your, you know, your pinky about that size. We can take a tree that big and we can have it to three inch caliper in diameter uh, and probably a 15 to 20 foot tall tree in a matter of two to three years. And that is unheard of. And I guess the, the way we're able to do that, there's a number of different factors. There's a lot of things that have to go right. But with the high caliper grow bag, it all starts with the soil. The ability to use this container in the ground. Um, we use Eric's Monarch auger. It'll auger the hole. We slide the fabric container into that hole. And then the auger drops that mineral soil back into the bag. During that process, we amend that native soil. And we amend it with, it's a chicken litter, pine bark, compost type amendment. Um, we've got a whole prescription and it all starts with the native soil, where we're deficient in that native soil. We try to overcompensate for that in our compost pile. So if we're low in boron or we're low in calcium or potassium or whatever it might be, we want our pile to have you know, the proper amount to even out once that's mixed in with the native soil. So we're able to start, that tree's able to start with the perfect soil, literally the perfect soil. And um, with that starting point, the tree, you know, is able to go from that container to that, you know, dream soil that it's in um, and really thrive. And, you know, we're watering on top of that. We're fertilizing. We take numerous tissue samples throughout the year and we're kind of pushing all the right buttons um, you know we'll take a tissue sample in june we'll take a tissue sample in august uh, we'll do soil samples in the off season and we monitor a lot of these growing trends we know that the amendments we put in that bag you know to some extent they're man-made we're, we're self-imposing this this compost into this native soil so those numbers get really high as the growing season goes they start to trickle off a little bit and then we'll top dress and, and bring those numbers back up. But the combination of that, and then also with these trees being able to produce such a fibrous root system, we can fertilize such a small area. We're just fertilizing inside that container. We're not fertilizing the whole field. So from a cost sure. standpoint, I'm for each tree, I'm fertilizing two square feet. I'm not fertilizing you know, what the, if it was in the ground, I'd be fertilizing, you know, all around that tree and watering all around that tree. So it's really just, we're just worried about the soil that that tree is, is coming in contact with. So, yeah, and then, you know, from there, there's, there's lots of pruning that goes on and staking and, you know, um, herbicides, fungicides, but the real core component of it is the container, the fibrous root system and giving the tree uh, what it needs from a nutritional standpoint. That's how we're able to get it there so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. When the, <clears throat> the more, you know, you can get your plant to a optimal, you know, perfect growing condition, the faster it's going to grow, the healthier it's going to be. Uh, and time is money in, uh, in the agriculture industry. And the quicker you can get your product to harvest, uh, the sooner you can get a, another plant back into the into the ground uh, for the next round. Awesome. And I will tell you, Eric, one of the issues, this is the main issue we had with our growing model, is we we basically came from from nothing 
to all of a sudden there's this, this farm that's got tons of trees. But over those two years of growing our first crop, you know, we're just in production mode. We have zero customers. And all of a sudden, with the flip of a switch, we go from zero customers to uh, having thousands of trees that need to move. So at one point, I was like, holy smokes, we grew these things way too fast. All of a sudden, I've got all this stuff I need to move. Um, you know, so I guess it's, it's kind of a catch-22. But once, you know, we've been able to build our customer base and all that. So now it's sort of we're back into the mode of we've got a customers who are saying, I need this, I need this. And it's, yeah, we'll grow it as, as fast as we can to get it to you. Um, but at first, it's kind of scary as a new business. You've got this product that's alive that could outgrow, you know, the market that it's intended for. Um, so, but that, that's just a testament to high caliper is if, if you start using high caliper, if you want to grow intensively, you better have some customers lined up to buy your product because it's going to come quick. Yeah, you don't want to overgrow uh, your trees, uh, definitely by by any means. And yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. That <clears throat> for a couple of years you're just focused on growing, <clears throat> and then you get to a point it's like, all right, time to get into sales mode as well as growing. So yeah, um, you know, it, it it is what it is, right? Well, uh, we've, what? Been, we've been very blessed. Go ahead. You know. The customers, the, those first customers that we got, um, you know, they're kind of the, the, the first customers, the first people to see our product. Um, you know, it was all about getting feedback from them. Some of them were not familiar at all with receiving trees grown in fabric containers. For some customers, there's this perception of, oh, well, I've only bought trees that are grown in a hard sided container, or I've only bought, bought bald and burlap trees. It seems like eight out of the 10 customers didn't care at all. In fact, they viewed it as a positive. And those two out of 10 who were kind of skeptical or whatever reason, they eventually bought from us. And those customers that were the most skeptical are the customers that have become the best customers for us because they were really studying this thing. They really wanted to see how this worked. They were kind of, you know, paying extra attention to this thing. And um, it kind of exceeded all expectations. So in the end, it was... I had some hesitations about doing something that was a little different than the norm, but it really differentiated us. Um, and it's been a huge positive and a huge selling point because there's a lot of farms out there and us doing something a little different, you know, sets us apart. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now what, uh, on your farm, what type of trees are you focused on growing and what's your most popular tree variety? Yeah. One area I, I didn't realize we were in such a good geographic location until we started selling trees and kind of understanding who our, our target customer really needs to be, um, being just South of Memphis, I knew we'd make some sales in Memphis. Um, and I knew Nashville would be a big customer, but I really didn't anticipate the Dallas Fort Worth area. You know, to me, that's six, seven hours away. I thought that might be a little far, but you know, all of a sudden that's where the majority of our trees are going. There's so much development in the state of Texas that there's not enough farms to supply the need. And we're viewed a lot of times as the closest farm outside of the state that has significant, um, product to move. Uh, and, you know, there's a number of reasons why Texas is like that. You know, it's got such a harsh condition to grow, poor soil. It's so hot in the summer. It's cold in the winter. 
But that's kind of turned into our, our little niche market is Dallas-Fort Worth. We've also started moving a lot of material to Houston. A market I would really like to get in is um, kind of that Midwest Chicago market. It's eight hours north. Um, but, you know, it all ties into what trees you're growing and if those trees are popular in that area from a survival standpoint and then also just from a popularity standpoint, what's being specced. Um, to answer your question about what trees we're growing, we predominantly grow shade trees. So oaks, maples, uh, elms, we grow some magnolias. You know, we're in Mississippi, so we got to grow magnolias. We're the magnolia state. Um, but our most popular selling trees right now are probably live oak, um, bur oak, schumard oak, really that palette that sells to these Texas developers. That's kind of turned into our bread and butter. I would like to expand our market presence in some other species. Um, in the next few years, we're going to get a little more involved in um, privacy trees, you know, green giants, Nellie R. Stevens, stuff when people want a green wall, you know, resident, more residential type. Um, but, you know, things are going really good as is. I think if we can just keep adding to our palette, you know, really doing nothing different, just adding some, some different plant material to the mix and different plants for different regions. I think we can really grow our footprint. Nice, nice. Um, now, I was uh, looking on your website, and it said that you guys specialize in high-grade trees. And I was wondering if you could just briefly explain what tree grading is and how that impacts your business and what you're doing to keep your trees in uh, a high-grade condition. Yeah, so tree grading is kind of, uh, as I like to put it, it's a gray area, you know. And um, if I ask... It's kind of subjective. It's very subjective. And as an outsider, uh, and just the way my brain works, I like things to be black and white. Even though in, in business and, you know, working with people, nothing is really black and white. There's a lot of gray area. And tree grading is one of those. That's something I kind of wrestled with. And something Eric really helped me with is... You know, I'm I'm obsessive when it comes to how our trees look, and you want was, them to look perfect. I want them to look perfect, but there's a difference between what I think is perfect and what a customer thinks is perfect. Um, so, one thing I wanted to do is really understand um, the grades and standards and how trees are graded, and really the authority on those grades and standards is Dr. Ed Gilman out of the University of Florida. He put together and you know, I haven't read the whole thing. It's, it's 100, 200 pages long, but he put together a whole grading system. And I challenge a lot of our customers to understand that grading system, because at the end of the day, that's what the architect's going to be looking at, depending on, you know, the, the project and, and, you know, there's different factors involved. But when we grow our trees, our goal is to have them as a Florida grade number one tree. And a tree that's not grade one does not get on a truck and does not go to a customer. Uh, but, you know, if we've got that um, that grade one standard, which is, you know, a tree limbed up to X amount of height, central leader up till the top, you know, three fourths of the tree, um, evenly branched uh, vertical branching, um, you know, full structure. It's pretty straightforward um, from a production standpoint. If we know what that is, if all our team members know what that is. Um, now, I've got 20,000 trees out in the field right now. Not every one of them is grade one, but probably 90 to 95% are. And that other 5% are trees that just aren't going to make it to market. Um, 
but yeah, the standard it's, you talk to different people, people have different, you know, different things they're thinking of, but if you can just keep it in that grade one standard, everybody seems to be happy that a grade one tree is pretty much universally accepted. Yeah. I, I was doing some research into uh, the grading standards last week, you know, in preparation for this interview. And I couldn't tell a ton of difference between, you know, the, the top grade and then the one below it, they seemed like, you know, gray area, kind of like what yeah. you were saying. So yeah, if, as long as you're aiming for that second best, I don't even know how anyone gets that top, top grade. Like you got to have a fake tree or something. Right. Yeah. Then there's Florida Fancy, which is the the top of the line. You know, you'd, you'd be out there with um, with kitchen scissors, you know, up there. Yeah. Like you just bubble wrap trees. your trees so nothing lands on it. And, you know, we actually do have um, a lot of the trees that go on trailers are Florida Fancy trees. Um, I'm not going to advertise that all our trees are Florida Fancy. Um, but you know, if you're getting a semi-truck load of 90 trees, there's going to be some Florida fancies in there, but the grade one is really what people, what people want and what people need and what's expected for a high-end project. Nice. Nice. Um, Paul, how, how do you see the farm, uh, doing in the next like five to 10 years? Are you expanding? Are you keeping things somewhat, uh, as is, how do you view the future? Well, every year is kind of like adding, adding another portion of the farm. You know, we started out with 15 acres. Year two, we added another 10 acres. Year three, we added another 15. This last year, we planted another 10. Um, and then the next year, we're going to be planting another, you know, 10 to 15, somewhere in the middle. Um, now, the goal is, you know, I've got 20,000 trees out right, right now. The goal is when one phase is being harvested and sold, we're going to start coming back in there and replanting that. So right now we're kind of trying to stabilize the ship. I've got mm -hmm. uh, 20,000 ish trees out there. We're probably going to sell five to 6,000 trees this year. We're also going to be planting another five or 6,000. So right now we've kind of built it up and we're kind of in the stabilizing mode. Nice. Um, one of the things that was hard for us though, is for the first two years, we were just in production mode, you know, uh, growing trees, pruning trees, watering, really just catering to those trees. Two years ago, you enter in sales and all of a sudden, not only are you taking care of trees, but you're harvesting trees, you're wrapping trees, you're loading trucks with trees. It's a whole nother business segment. So this next year is kind of going to be the perfect storm of having um, a full palette of trees ready to go in all species and all sizes that we grow. So we're going to have probably, I'd say somewhere between five to 10 production members. And then we've got um, two or three office staff. Um, but that, I say five to 10 because it's just kind of, you know, we've never had this much product being sold that we're anticipating to sell this year. So I'm kind of hesitant on the number to say, but I think right now the key is to stabilize. And then I think in the next year or two, we're going to start growing some uh, more numbers in a lot of the species we already grow, but also growing some new species for other markets that we want to get into. Yeah, nice. And I've heard from other tree farmers that it's a, a terrible idea to grow your field too fast because you never want to have, you know, a huge excess of supply that you can't move. Only grow what you know you're going to be able to move. Right. You'd rather be, and that's something 
you've probably heard that from Eric Hall. You'd rather be sold out of something than stuck with something. So we've kind of been testing a lot of these numbers. I know right now kind of the magic number of live oak trees I need to grow every year. In the first year, I didn't grow nearly enough because those things sold out like that. But, you know, I don't want to grow 30 times that number because then I'll probably have, you know, way too many. So it's kind of finding that right, you know, that right number. So a lot of times when we start growing a tree for the first time, we'll small start out at a small amount just to make sure the demand we think is there is there. Uh, and then a lot of times we'll also bounce these ideas off customers and, you know, see what they're planting. Yeah. Yeah. Like ask the customer, Hey, what would you like to buy from me? What do you want me to grow? <laughs> and that's the best type of relationship with a customer is a customer that you can call and ask those questions to. And also a customer that really values you asking them about their business and what they would like to have. So, you know, that's kind of the full understanding. He understands me. I understand him. You know, we're a perfect fit for working together. Yeah, yeah. It's more of, more of a relationship uh, than than a transactional uh, deal. Right. Um, Paul, this this has really been a, a great interview, and, and I've learned a lot uh, about your operation and I guess just more on tree farming in general. How can people find you online and, you know, uh, social media type stuff? Yeah, so um, our website, NatchezTreeCo.com, um, we've got good photos and videos on there of the farm. And then, of course, Instagram is, is so popular right now. I, I think Instagram is the easiest to get to know somebody. We're Natchez.Tree.Co on Instagram. So for those listening, give us a follow. Uh, we'd love to keep you updated on things that are going on at the farm. And then of course, we love having visitors out here. The best way for people to really understand the farm from a production standpoint and then also get to know our trees uh, is coming out here and, you know, getting a tour of the farm and getting your hands dirty. <laughs> which uh, which I need to do myself. We were supposed to do that uh, late last year, I believe, but the, the planets weren't aligned for us. So hopefully uh, within the next uh, six to 12 months, I'd love to uh, see your farm in person. Yeah, and for... Um, for all the high caliper and growing revolution fans, when Eric's out here, we'll get a video of him installing some grow bags. So he can, uh, he can put his money where his mouth is. Heck yeah. I'm down. Put me to work. <laughs> uh, Paul, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been a really good interview and looking forward to uh, seeing you again in person down the road. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Eric. I appreciate you hosting me.